I'm a leader that says, you guys are all part of my team. We work together. You, I help you succeed and you make the company succeed. We're winning, right? It's not because I'm the boss. I'm just here to make sure you succeed. Welcome to the Be On Purpose podcast, where science meets spirituality and innovation partners with intention. I'm your host, Lynn Gravatt, aerospace engineer turned spiritual guide and quantum coach, bringing you inspiring stories and practical insights from the world of aerospace to AI. Each episode, we dive into the journeys of visionary thinkers and STEM leaders who are transforming their fields. So whether you're a tech enthusiast, a business innovator, or someone simply seeking to elevate your career with purpose and passion, join us as we explore the fascinating intersection where technology harmonizes with human potential. Let's embark on this journey of discovery and growth together, right here on Be On Purpose. Eka is a graduate from the University of Toronto, Canada in industrial engineering with over 25 years experience in manufacturing, purchasing, and all aspects of quality. In her spare time, she competes as a pro bodybuilder and is a personal trainer. She loves coaching and mentoring leaders to be and loves participating in STEM and engineering fields and events. She currently mentors two young professionals, one in logistics and one in industrial engineering and manufacturing. All right, friends, welcome to the Be On Purpose podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Miss Eka. Eka, I know that you have a story about your name. Yes. I want to hear it. So tell me, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Eka Uka Obasi, and Eka is a short form. My full name is Ekenem. That's how you say it. Um, and I am a first-generation Canadian to Nigerian immigrants. So my parents emigrated from Nigeria in the late 60s, um, and I was the first one of first of their child. So I'm a firstborn. But Ekenem, just it means motherhood is sweet. So if you call me Eka, it actually means mom. So in the Nigerian culture and tradition, typically the father names the child. So he, this, I was the first and um, I think I came a little bit late, but I came out and that was the name he gave me. Motherhood is sweet. So that's where, that's where my name comes from. But um, again, I am, you know, firstborn of three kids um, and definitely one, I'm a very typical firstborn child. <laughs> so always, you know, been the leader, always teaching the young ones, but, you know, made my way to where I am today, I think, because I am a firstborn. So I think there's something to be said about that. That is wonderful. Now we know who you are. Tell us now, what do you do or what have you done? Well, I have done a lot. Well, let me say a lot. I always say I have a very unique career background. Um, you know, I graduated from the University of Toronto um, with an industrial engineering degree. Um, and this was in a long time ago, 1992 is when I graduated. Um, and again, it was engineering. So there weren't a lot of women. Um, I would say out of the class of 150 that graduated, 
there were probably, I'm going to say 10 maximum that were girls. So um, we were probably in the industrial engineering, probably one of the higher percentage ones. I think chemical was higher than us, but it was still pretty low. After I graduated, um, it was a pretty um, hard employment season. So it was pretty difficult to get work. And I decided to go back to my parents' homeland to see how they were brought up. So after I graduated university was the first time I went to Nigeria with my dad and I spent six weeks there, um, seeing where he was raised, seeing how he grew up and, you know, seeing all the other family members, which was really um, very exciting for me. Cause again, you just see how he grew up and why he came to Canada for a better life. So when I came back is when I started looking for work and I actually um, got a job in a rubber company. And I still remember when I had the interview, they didn't have an engineering job. And the, the hiring manager asked me like, what do you want out of the job? And I was like, I don't think of it as a job. This is my career. And he told me later that he hired me because I said that. Um, and I literally started as a customer service person and I scheduled one part of the production floor. And in industrial engineering, you learn a lot about operations management, production manufacturing, you know, like scheduling, time studies. So it was like kind of like this is going to be the easy part of the job. So for six months, I actually scheduled um, a production line and did it quite well that customers were very happy that they're getting parts on time and things like that. Cause at the time I had all the formulas in my head still. So it was easy. So after the six months, they made me a process engineer. So I was someone on the floor. So I quickly kind of, you know, was someone that wanted to improve processes. So it was like, I totally knew industrial engineering was for me. Um, and from there, I quickly moved to different roles where my biggest, again, career tenure was at an automotive manufacturing company where I did a lot of things over the 23 years. Like I started as an engineer and literally left there in after several management positions to being the supplier quality manager of North America. So I was in charge of the US, Canada and Mexico. So I really grew in my career, really grew technically that I started teaching people how to audit. I started teaching people technically about different, different materials like plastic, like stampings. So I got a lot of great experience um, out of that company. Um, but I came to this point where I think I was becoming more of a teacher and less of someone who was learning. And I just felt I can still learn more and I can still use stuff in my toolbox. So the opportunity at Weber came up um, and, you know, I left that company as a supplier quality manager, in North America. I moved into Weber as a director of sourcing, um, which was definitely a step up in terms of title, um, you know, I had the same kind of direct reports, but I was learning a totally different industry. I was so used to the structure of automotive um, and I moved into consumer goods, it's gross.
and everyone loves grills. And I, I just love the experience because it was one of those where you can actually touch the product you're working on and sourcing. Very different in automotive because we made little components that go inside the car of a particular vehicle. So I never actually see it in the car unless I'm in the plant or if I'm driving that car. So it was cool to be really close to the product and understand the brand and just the love of the Weber grill to this day. So I did there when I was in sourcing there, I started working on different processes and with the same mindset of automotive, like let's put some governance standards, some standard work in place and also work on developing the supplier relationships that they had. So that's kind of my thing. So I was doing that. And really within nine months, I still remember my boss phoning me and it was a work from home day. It was Friday telling me how great I'm doing my job. And I just like, I just thanked them, you know, it's like, okay, it's nice. I'm getting, you know, kind of people are seeing what I'm doing. And, you know, he was also too saying like, not even in sourcing spaces in other spaces, my name is being brought up in conversations. So I'm really interacting with people. And it was that day that he said he was promoting me and another girl to a VP role. And I was, I was literally in shock because it was like, I haven't done anything yet. I'm just got here, but it was a preparation role for, you know, bigger things to come at Weber. So of course I embraced it. They gave me the electronics uh, commodity and then I got you know, a couple of MPI engineers, new product introduction engineers. Um, and we were, you know, off to the races again. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, Weber, especially when it's consumer goods, the consumer is king. So if they don't buy, we don't, we can't make, you know, so the, you know, some financial challenges and it happens in every industry and they have to do layoffs and reduction in force. They did one probably about a year before they did mine and then another wave and here I am. So I always, I tell people like it was actually pretty hard for me because I've never been laid off before. And probably that's kind of rare in over 25 years of work that you've never been laid off. So it was, it was hard for someone like me who's kind of like type A, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because this was a question I was going to ask you before I even knew that you were laid off. And so it's very relevant. And we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording. So the question I want to ask you is, and I think it's going to relate to the layoff, but if something else pops up, that's great too. Could you share a challenging moment in your career that you had to come overcome an obstacle and what lessons did you learn from it? Or specific to maybe it is about the layoff, like what experiences, what lessons have you learned from the experience of being laid off? Yeah. So um, again, a very, very new and odd space for me, Lynn, because um, I'm very type A. I'm someone who's always on the go. Like I don't sit down. I'm always doing something. And I tell people like I get up, I go to the gym. Like this is what was my routine. I get up 530. I'm at the gym, get home, eat breakfast. I go to work. And during my time, I, I mean, I, I haven't mentioned this, but I'm a pro bodybuilder, so I, I compete as well. So I go to work, 
after work, I'd go to the gym again because I had to get my set workouts in or cardio in. And then I'd come home and, you know, most of the time, unfortunately, I'd open my computer again because it's like, let me just catch up on emails because I was someone that like, I need to go to bed with zero emails in my inbox. So I do that and go to bed and this will start again. And I'm cool with that. Like that, that was me. So when I got laid off, I woke up and I was like, what do I do? So I woke up and I went to the gym like I usually do. And I woke up early in the morning. I got home and it was so early. It was eight. And literally I sat on the couch and I cried. Mm-hmm. And I tell people this, that it's, again, you need to have that moment. You need to have the grieving moments because it's a it's an honest emotion. You're very used to working. You're very used to doing all of that, that you need to process this. And now you can hear I'm Canadian. I said process, not process. <laughs> um, <laughs> that you need to process this and you need, I think you need to grieve. It's okay. And, you know, I am a Christian, so prayer became very vital to my days and very vital to like reading, doing reading and just to keep my mind at peace because I, most people are just overthinkers. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't have a job. What am I going to do? How am I going to support your, my family? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Your mind overthinks. And then it starts to spiral. And I think people, that's how people spiral into a depressive state or things like that. And then they don't do anything. So I had to really think about myself in the, I say in the waiting. And God is teaching me a lot about patience, (laughs) you know, in terms of you need to wait because there's something else greater out there for you. It's coming. I see it. You don't see it, but just just lean on me. It's coming. It's coming. So during this time, I was like, what are the things that I enjoy doing? And again, they afforded me a career coach and got me thinking about what are the things I enjoy doing? And I love engineering. And I always love talking about it. So I don't know if it was right after that layoff, I just Googled STEM volunteer opportunities on Google. And pages and pages and pages came up, but then I linked myself with the Chicago Foundation of Engineers um, and started doing volunteer opportunities. And I've had several, I've gone to um, a local college and spoke at their engineering fair. I've gone to an all boys school during their career week and start talked about engineering. Um, and my recent posts on LinkedIn, I went to a middle school and I've never talked to middle schoolers before. <laughs> I've usually talked to high schoolers in college yeah. and just got them excited on mechanics and the mechanics of engineering and actually bought a STEM kit. It was a crane so that they can have a prop to touch. I figured like, these are like 12 year olds. I need, they need this not just hear me, they need to see something. So we talked about the mechanics of cranes and what they do. And we actually looked at CAD and did a whole bunch of stuff and just got their minds thinking about engineering and what it is. 
Um, and we just kind of narrowed it down that we're problem solvers. In any industry, there are engineers. And we got to the point that there was a girl that was interested in fashion design. And I said, you know that they use AI and engineering to do drawings now. And you can do everything, like even design clothes on CAD so or CAD-like software. So that literally opened one of the little girl's eyes that she said she was like truly inspired, like she's ready. So that stuff totally, you know, lights me up. It gets my eyes dancing. It gets, you know, just to know that these guys have the opportunity and I can share my experiences, you know. So um, I've been keeping my mind active by doing things of that nature. So I think I think in February I'll be part of a judges panel for robotics, um, for engineering. So I'm trying to kind of always keep myself going and keep active while I'm in the waiting of doing job search and company research. I love that. Well, and you, you said a very important point about how you use prayer to keep your mind, your mind, right? And I feel like there's so many different people in the world that need their mind right, whether it's because they have financial stresses, they've lost a job, or they watch a lot of media and they're being inundated with the wars and the shootings and the global war. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. And so, you know, whether it's prayer, whether it's, I mean, meditation, energy work, there's so many different pathways, but this is kind of the point of this podcast is to inspire people, whatever your God source faith, you know, you can call it whatever you want as an individual. And we, I really want to inspire others that, this is an important quality, like, right? This, this prayer of yours is what's keeping your mind right. My meditations, my hypnosis audios, my, you know, because there's so much fear up in the collective. And if we don't have an yeah. inner practice to calm the mind, to re remind us of what's important, we spin out. So thank you for giving voice to that. And it leads beautifully into the second section of the podcast, which is where we talk about the spiritual journey specifically for you, what you've been on. So we know that you're a Christian. Do you care to give us a little bit of background about the upbringing and how that, and we kind of know how it inspires you now, but what is your background in the, with regards to your, yeah, your family um, was from Nigeria, right? So I don't know if they were practicing Christian. Yes. In yes. Or... Talk about that. Please. So um, Nigeria is kind of split in half. The northern part is Muslim. The southern part is evangelical, Christian, Catholic, you know, Protestant. And my parents come from the southern part. And my dad used to tell me when the missionaries first came into Nigeria um, to speak about God and Christ. And that's when Christianity kind of took place to the point that I was raised in a Christian home. So both my parents were are believers in God and believers, you know, in, you know, God, the father, son, Holy spirit. We actually always went to church because my dad's father, my paternal grandfather was a, was a pastor. Um, so mm -hmm. even when they immigrated, we always went to church. Like I can not recall a day when we didn't. So it's Sundays we went and Wednesdays was youth group usually 
for the young people. So we went Wednesday nights. And as I became a teenager, Friday, Saturdays was with youth groups. So in Canada, that's like skating, baseball, like we did a whole bunch of events. So I grew up with the knowledge that God exists, that God is real. And I also grew up with the knowledge that you know, again, my parents came from a third world country, a developing country, but the spirit is always very present there. They always tell me like, you guys in Canada or the US, you guys can't see the devil, but we see the devil in, in Nigeria. Like the spiritual forces are very strong there. So I've always felt that presence. And my parents never forced any of the children to say, you need to believe in God, you need to be this. No, I mean, again, it's a choice. Um, and I still remember when I made that choice that I am gonna let God direct my life. I'm gonna let him, I'm gonna lean on him because you know he's, he's the reason we're here, there's purpose for me. And I just remember that time when I did that. And I, it was at a like a day camp Bible school. I was nine years old. And people always say, like, how do you know? Like, no, people know when the spirit or something moves you. I've, I still remember, I'm 54. I still remember that day. So it's real. Um, and then I still remember when I committed in public, when I got baptized, I was 16. I still remember that day. So Yes, we're going to have our ebbs and flows where, you know, we become a teenager. like, I don't need God. I can do this myself. I don't need this. But every time he seems to turn around and say, you know what? You do need me. Just wait. Just wait. So and that that has kept me going all all my life right now. Yes. You know, I won't. I'm not perfect. And he doesn't expect perfection. But I continue to lean on his side because I've only seen good every time I lean on his side. So, and that's, that's why I'm not, I'm, I'm not worried. Even when I left, you know, f during the reduction in force, I was not worried that I wouldn't find something. I, I knew I wouldn't find something in a month, but I know something will be found and I'll be able, you know, to do it. And it will actually be, the Lord will say, see, I put you here because you were needed here. There was an impact you needed to do here that you couldn't do here. It happens all the time, Lynn. Throughout my life, it's, it's happened like that. So it's always for the better. And th I think that's that's the true evolution of human nature, you know, because it's we, we can't do it on our own. We're not an island. We've always needed companionship. We've always needed that support. And I think, you know, a lot of people get, sometimes into a depressive state because they want to be alone. We're not supposed to be alone. We're supposed to have supportive people like you. I can, you know, or talk to people like you and share your experiences because everyone's having the same experience in one form of form or another. So. Well, I think that's wonderful. I mean, you were really blessed to have your awakening at age nine, right? Um, and to, to feel that force. And it clearly guided you into a very successful career because as you said, graduating college in 1992 as a black woman and moving up the ranks. I mean, it was a different, different time. So. Oh yes. Kudos. Yep. Um, my <laughs> awakening didn't come until my thirties and it, you know, it's non-traditional. I was, a, I 
what grew up Catholic, but like very loose Catholic. So not, you know, Christmas and Easter and like sometimes in between, but always that weekly religion class. I think that's an important thing about faith is the community aspect. But my awakening came more through shamanic, um, more alternative type, you know, balancing chakra. It was very unexpected, a little bit of plant medicine. Um, but the point of the story is it's the same, a, a sense of purpose, an awakening that this is what I want to do. And I definitely use the language divine feminine Christ consciousness is definitely like a force that's very, very strong to me. And so I think it is important that all pe that people know that like, if you are a person that have had this moment, this awakening, sometimes it can be scary to follow it. Um, especially if it's you're having it as an adult when you've already had all of these other programs. Um, so what an empowering story to know that when the awakening happens, when you know, you know, when you have a sense of purpose, if your purpose is to oh, be yeah. a follower of Christ and a follower of God, and that is your purpose, it will take you in the right direction. If your purpose yes. is to balance your chakras and go live in Peru and, you know, still do a lot of prayer and all that stuff, then that will also take you to your purpose. So yeah. let's move into this part where we talk about these PCs, the power, passion, purpose, creativity, creativity, compassion, and consciousness. In terms of your career in industrial engineering and manufacture, how has that allowed you to fill this sense of purpose, both personally and professionally. So we have that spiritual purpose, but now this is our outer purpose. How has, how has your career enhanced that? My career is providing, you know, kind of an inspiration or energy to others that sometimes I don't realize <laughs> until, you know, I get told it. So I, I always find that I, when I go into a role, my, I feel the most fulfilled when I see the team succeed. I feel the most fulfilled when I know the change or process change has had a positive impact on the organization. And every role I take, my immediate goal is how can I make an impact? How can I show that there's a change that can be put in place, a governance, a protocol that would be a positive influence on the company? Whether it's a change in how people think about the system, or even if it totally positively affects the bottom line, you know, that is my purpose when I'm in work. I'm always there to see people succeed. When I tell, when I interview and People, one of the questions is like, what's your management philosophy? What do you think? How are you as a manager? I always tell people that I believe myself as a servant leader. So I, I lead, but I can also serve. I can do the work as well. I can get dirty. Um, but then number two, I feel like I'm a coach and a cheerleader. I'm not, I always say like labor laws say, when you have direct reports, you need direct reports so you can assess performance, you know, what they're doing, discipline. But I'm a leader that says, you guys are all part of my team. We work together. You, I help you succeed and you make the company succeed. We're winning, right? It's not because I'm the boss. I'm just here to make sure you succeed, right? And that, that is, that's always my ultimate goal when I'm in a managerial position. 
Like, I want to know what my team needs to be successful, not what I need to be successful, but what the team needs. Mm. And that that's my role um, as a manager. So I always think my impact is always like, what can I do to make the organization, the team, the department, the people around me successful? Um, and, you know, how do I do that? And you'd be surprised how impactful you can become by doing the little things. And when I say the little things, I mean, walking through the office and saying good morning to people or going up to people who think like, oh my gosh, there's a VP walking around. What does she need? Oh no, I just came to say hi. And just seeing how you guys are doing. And for me, that's the simple stuff, but then you don't realize when you call them and you need help, they're the ones that are like, what do you want? We'll, we'll do it for you. Right. And it's those things that make an organization, you know, run well and, and do well. Like we are all people are at work because you came in, we hired you because we value your skill set. So you, you shouldn't be ever discounted. You're there because we value you. So part of that value is just saying, hi, we're human beings. Mm. Just say, hi, how are you? Good morning. What's going on? I don't need anything. How was your day? What do you eat for lunch? You oh, know, I want that, you for a boss. That, <laughs> that stuff kind of goes a long way. And I sometimes I just do it because it's my nature. But then when I, you know, when I left the company, they were like, Eka, like, we miss you. It's like, what? I'm hardly over there. But no, you say good morning to us every day. Aww. Like, that's important to me. Like, nobody says good morning to us now. And, you know, it's it's funny. Like, it's it's the little things. You know? Yeah, I mean, that speaks to your humility and your service and this idea of more of a circular leadership style versus our typical leadership style, our more masculine leadership style, which is this hierarchy yeah, right? yeah. and very based in ego. I think the whole masculine leadership style is, it's, I, it's just old school. It's, it's like, expiring. The like there's still changing. people holding, exactly. There's people holding on, but we see yes. it happening and- Especially like, you know, I don't want to be like those millennials or I, what are the new ones called? Gen but Zs. They're not Gen Zs. They won't tolerate the hierarchy. I mean, they just no. won't. So no. No. <laughs> they'll just live in their I, parents' I still, basement. Exactly. So like it's, it's going, it's going to change. It's going to be hard for people, but it's going to change, but it's going to change for the better because the definition of leadership as people can see is changing. You know, it's not like I'm the boss of you, I'm gonna tell you what to do versus what should we do? How should we make this better? Why can't we ask everybody, right? And it's, it's moving from, you know, I'm the smartest person in the room because I'm the boss to like, it's best that I'm not the smartest person in the room because we're gonna grow that way, we're gonna evolve. So it, the shift is gonna happen, it's gonna, it's gonna take time. It's going to take time because still, you know, women in executive positions or leadership positions is still very low. Mm -hmm. But I think it's slowly coming around to say, hey, you know, that diversity, that change in leadership is a positive effect on the bottom line of companies. You know, when you have that creativity and it's not just from a male brain, you have the creativity or experiences from a female Hey, you know, it's mind blowing. It's yeah, mind blowing. The, the planet's going to be a, a much better place. 
So let's talk about the future a little, our, our vision for conscious technology. And this is kind of relevant to you because you're kind of sending out into the ethers, like what's the next thing that I'm going to do, that kind of stuff. So looking ahead, what emerging technologies do you think are going to play the most significant impact in either manufacture or you have a lot of experience in automotive. So however you want to yeah. answer that question, what emerging technologies are you excited about? Um, I'm actually, I would say I'm excited, but still there's some trepidation on artificial intelligence. And I'm going to say this because I think there is some good. I still remember it was probably in the early 2000s when we talked about autonomous vehicles um, and how to do that, what what can be done. And it was like autonomous vehicles driving itself. And it's like, oh no, no. I was like, I will never drive an autonomous vehicle. I need redundancy. I need to be able to grab the wheel <laughs> and and move it. And I I think, you know, there is some really good aspects to AI. And me being off. I always tell people, don't spend your time doing Netflix and chill. Yes, there's a time for that, but read. This is your time. I would tell you're you might be laid off. You might be in a reduction force in between jobs. This is your time to read about what's out there in the industry you want to work at. So I love quality. I love purchasing supply chain. So you go in there and there's a lot of things involved in there. And like, how do we get apart from, you know, destination A to destination B? You know, how do we schedule a production floor? And there's a lot of great articles on AI and forecasting and scheduling. Wouldn't you want to know what kind of the ideal or most robust sales forecast is so that you can build the appropriate product for the market? AI can do that. AI can do that. Take all the history from your last 10 years and say, hey, based on the economic ebbs and flows, this is what your forecast is going to look like. This is how you should build. Oh, yeah. You know, take your your fluff in between. But I think there's some really good aspects to it. Now, when you think about the AI, those kind of things are what people used to do. People used to just be on Excel and generate macros to do all of this stuff. But now I think the shift in the types of jobs will move to the computer, the coding. What does AI look like in the background? Someone's doing something in the background, right? We need people now to work the background. Um, and then, you know, I just think of the extremes of AI. And I was talking to you earlier about Elon Musk and his AI chip in the brain. So I think like every new technology, we need to have some governance or guardrails around it. Yeah. You know, I agree. What I was going to say is I, I agree that there's a lot of people doing bad things, but I like to believe that a lot of it's unintentional. They're just unconscious. Um, and so they're doing things that are the status quo or that their boss told them or whatever. And they're like not aware of consequences. And that's where for me, the, the rising of the consciousness comes in because whether it's about AI or anything, it's about building trust. 
And so we first have to trust ourselves so that we have the ability, because there's going to be a time where you don't know if anything is real or AI. We'll never know ever again. And so it's kind of trust and then discernment. Like, okay, I'm watching this video. Does it matter if it's real or not real? Am I learning something from it? Am I getting the the more the lesson, whatever? And that yeah. all comes with self-trust to like just be able to tune stuff out and not believe everything we see to be able to tune in and say, does this resonate with me? And do I want to move forward? There was a Netflix documentary on the social media, Google and all that. And a lot of the inventors, they invented it for good. Not realizing that now social media with the younger generation is causing mental health issues. Totally unintended to the inventor. But now there's so much in social media that now we need to have guardrails on our mind. A young girl can now look at social media and see all these girls. They got great butts, they got great boobs, they got great bodies, not knowing that they're manufactured. It's an altered image. They have no idea. They look in the mirror and they're like, I don't have that body. How do I get it? And now their mind is telling them to do things that are very rash and dangerous. So again, there's always, as you said, Lynn, there's always a good intention with the technology that people don't realize that it spans out to something that's detrimental. Um, so I, I just always think is like, how do we put like these, something like a guardrail governance It's like, yes, there's AI, but you cannot use it for this, 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 or this because of yeah. the ramifications. And I so, think they're starting to hash that out, but the social media, I think I'll just say something about that because, yeah, I think that's called the social network. And, the you know, not only were there unintended consequences, but these inventors do not let their children have social media. And I think exactly. the guardrail is parenting. The guardrail is parents being the bad guy and saying, no, you can't have a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. Okay, like if there's an issue, it's my brother's a teacher. I'm like, parents. If there's an emergency, you call the office and then the office will walk to your, these kids should not have cell phones in schools. And I'm an advocate for emerging technology to benefit humanity. And I'll be the first one to say, shut it down specifically with the youth. And it's really important that people know that, that the inventors of these tech, the elite, their children are not on social media. Their children are outside playing in the dirt. They're eating organic food. They're doing, you know, we've been bamboozled a little bit for profit. But the beautiful thing is we get to make the choice. It's all at this point, it's consciousness. Nobody's forcing us to be on social media. Nobody's forcing. um, But in terms of parents, they can force their children not to be on it. So, you know, I know it's hard for parents up there. And I'm not a parent. Are you a parent? Yes, of three. Okay. Are they grown? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There are many adults. So they got to daughter, grow up 22. before social media. See, we're so lucky. Yes. I'm a Gen and- X too, but like a late Gen X. I was born in 78. So I feel like we okay. grew up at the best time, you know, to really branch the world and like have an actual real life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, my kids, they didn't get a cell phone until they entered high school. And I told them they didn't need one. They're like, well, the neighbor that's eight has it. And it's like, why? Because 
if there's a problem, the teacher phones me, I can go over there, you're close enough. The only time I, I gave high school because they went on sports trips or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we waited till high school. It was hard for those guys because like every one of their friends between eight and 10 had a cell phone. It's like, no, what do you need a cell phone for? You know? So yeah, I, I always say we're probably in the best generation. And I talk to my friends about this all the time because they're like, mom, you've never been bullied. It's like, oh yes, we have. It happened after school. The bully came in outside after school. You got into the fight. You told the teacher next day. She came out the next day at 3.30 because you got in the same fight. That boy went into detention and it like it ended there. It didn't yeah. stay on the World Wide Web forever for someone to taunt you or whatever. You had it. You dealt with it. We move on, you know? So yeah. the only thing is like now people can't move on because it's still stuck in the cloud, mm. you know? Yeah. So- well, I appreciate this conversation so much because when we're talking about technology, like sometimes people don't want to say anything disparaging about technology at all. So I really want to honor you for for having an honest, authentic conversation with me because I think people need to hear this and need to be having conversations with their spouses about what they're both the medical stuff and the kids on social media stuff. Like this is what raising consciousness is. And so I want to just honor yeah. you because that is what we are doing right now. Like there are people listening to this podcast who have maybe not thought about these things before or haven't heard two tech enthusiasts talking about it in this way. Usually it's like what they would call the conspiracy theorists and all that. And I've been called that. I'm not, you know, it's fine. But at the end of the day, I'm here to serve good and, that all humans can be healthy, happy, and free. And so it's a balance of this technology. So yes, wrapping it up, definitely. how can people get a hold of you? And if do you have anything, anything coming up that you want to share about? Yeah, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn. You know, I usually post about the STEM activities there. But I also, you know, again, I always say there's a balance. There's your career and there's your hobbies and interests. And you need to have that work-life integration. I I'm not going to call it balance because mm -hmm. sometimes it does this, sometimes it does that. But you need to have that integration where you have something other than work that keeps you fulfilled. And for me, it's not only, you know, kind of giving back with the volunteering now, but it's fitness and doing, you know, exercise, doing the competition. So if you don't see me on LinkedIn, I post this stuff on LinkedIn, but I also post my STEM activity and my fitness activity on Instagram. Um, and so I'm under efigfit, E-F-I-G-F-I-T. Um, and you'll always see me, either my exercises, my journey, my evolution of me, you know, me from a big person to a skinny person, me doing STEM activities, but that's usually where I put all my stuff. So, but I usually just post a lot of fitness motivation just for people to know that, you know, yes, I'm over 50, but you can still have your mind right. You can have great health, wellness, and well being um, by doing a multitude of things and enjoying your passions. So the next time I'm doing something is during engineering week. That's the last or second last weekend of February. 
So I'll be participating in a, in a few events then. I'm going to be on a judging panel for robotics. And again, I've been doing a lot of volunteering work with um, the Chicago Engineering Foundation, and they're found on LinkedIn as well. But they have a lot of volunteering opportunities. And it's not like you need experience. I mean, you just need passion and, you know, kind of like one of those pay it forward mindsets. And I think we need to do that. Because again, there's always another generation that needs our experience and needs to understand it. Well, we're going to get your Instagram and your LinkedIn in the show notes. And I'm going to follow you on LinkedIn because I also am on a, I teach fitness as well. Um, but I don't, oh, I've cool. done, yeah. And I've done aerial, but building muscle is difficult for me. So I kind of want to see this buff body. Like you said, you're in, you, you do bodybuilding. <laughs> like that's amazing. Um, so we're going to get those in the show notes. And again, I just want to thank you so much for being here, Eka, because this was a very powerful conversation. And I, I know that there's going to be people that are going to find it refreshing 